We're back. It's Swing Pass, Wednesday, November 3rd. We've got a real nerdy episode for you today. We're talking about stats. We're talking about numbers. We're talking about quantitative analysis of ultimate Frisbee. Shove those glasses back up onto your nose. I'm Adam Ruffner. I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Cohen. Daniel, we're going to talk numbers today. We're going to talk zeros and ones. Aren't you excited? I am excited. I, I feel like we're long overdue for a, a good, hearty stats episode. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready to just dive into it. It's like a nice soup in the offseason, you know, something to just warm you exactly. up. Exactly. Like, who needs yeah. all the human storylines and stuff? Let's get back to that raw data, baby. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, Daniel and I have been kind of neck deep in discussions about uh, stat development at the league level, what people want to see that's maybe not being recorded, what is being recorded and not necessarily displayed well. There's just so many levels and so many, I think, different directions to take the statistics discussion in. Um, I think a point that we agreed to start at, though, is just kind of saying out loud that right now, as a sport as a whole, we exist in the dark ages of statistical analysis and even just understanding i think right like we just had our first season recording yardage seems pretty important seems pretty important so you know i it's 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 a very fun time it feels very frontiersman ish it feels like we're kind of on that cutting edge of what do you want to see how how do we want to tell the story of the sport um but you know just I think is to analysts. I know for myself as a as an out and out schmuck, you know, like somebody who <laughs> who does a lot of investment into trying to understand the sport. It is my life. I love studying the sport, but like I am coming at understanding play at from a statistical bent. And to this point, we have had a very very low threshold for understanding right i was telling you before the episode daniel like it's it's essentially it's essentially like in baseball only analyzing play based off of hits runs home runs rbis batting average like that's what we've been doing by and large in our league we measure completions completion percentage assists goals blocks points played that that's essentially the long and short plus minus we can get into that in a second (laughs) My most despised plus stat of all minus. time. But you've definitely gone on a plus minus rant in some other episode. Maybe when we were yeah, I probably have MVP a couple more in me. or something. Yeah, it's a trash I stat. It's a trash stat. But you know, we have <laughs> these very these very broad categories that I think are easily communicable, which is why we use them. They're very easy to understand. You know, who's thrown the goal? Who's caught the goal? Who's disrupting the offensive possession with a block? Um, but that doesn't really tell much of a story. And a lot of those stats can be pretty misleading, I think, as far as what that player provides, particularly if they're not a scoring player. And as an aside, this is why plus minus doesn't work so well for a lot of players. Um, it's, it's great to be in 2021 with yardage and all of the other stuff that we're starting to come up with, especially, I think, for me on the team level. I just love having so many more of these team stats that we have now available with Red zone mm-hmm. possessions, break chance percentage, uh, you know, on and on. What I guess what are you, what's your take kind of sitting at this, you know, fence point of 
sort of clawing our way out of where we've been and getting towards where we want to go. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an exciting time for sure. Like you said, just being at this point where there's like everyone knows that there's going to be a ton of innovation in ultimate stats because we're at such a basic level. Right. And just seeing like some of those steps being taken, like with AUDL uh, adding yardage stats this past season. And like you said, those team stats, like I think red zone stats are going to be huge specifically for coaching and game planning, just like getting a better idea of how teams operate in the red zone. And a lot of those team stats, I would like to see, extended to player stats too so like i want to see a player's red zone numbers i want to see you know how a player does like when they're on the field how often that d line is getting breaks you know things like that where you can kind of apply these team stats to the more player level and of course huck rates and percentages all that stuff i think is great i i guess i i do worry a little bit like i don't want to get I, I'm all for stats innovation, but I don't want us to get like overwhelmed with adding things. Obviously, it just creates right. more work for the statisticians either during the game or if we have people watching film, recording things after the games. Like, you know, there's still a limited amount of of man hours that can go into this thing. Uh, and I also think it's it's important for us to kind of sit with the stats as they are and and be able to get creative with with how we use them and how we draw conclusions so like for example we have yard we have yardage we have like raw yardage totals we also have points played so like we can calculate yards per point and like different efficiency numbers like that just by you know doing some simple division and like per game stats i, I think all that stuff like there's a lot we can draw out of our current stats base and i think that's super important and is like worth exploring on its own before we get into you know adding so many more things uh but just generally i feel like we're in a really great spot and i i I had a blast just messing around in excel and doing some of these like you know like we another example is like assists uh assist to turnover ratio uh or like assist to throwaway ratio like things like that where you can just take two of these numbers and combine them in an interesting way uh, and just get interesting results. And it, it can, we can draw a lot from the game with our stats as they are currently, but obviously there's plenty more directions we can take this whole thing. Yeah. And I just want to kind of second your point about distinguishing between the noise and the signal, as you were saying, kind of that overpopulation of statistical data versus what is actually telling us meaningful things. I think that's really important because I was going to mention you, you put out a general call on Twitter (laughs) asking for people, (laughs) what would you like to see a stat developed for? And I would say by and large, you got good responses, but some people were off on the wing there wanting some, (laughs) Some wanting some very, very granular data that frankly, I know. I, I don't know what you do with at a certain point. And I agree there. No. There's, I think that I think there needs to be a discussion as to like, what's sort of the limit here. Cause even in being like a, a general sports nerd and stuff, some of the stats that they come up with now and like baseball and basketball for specific situational things, it's like, is this really necessary? Like, do we really need to be calculating? <laughs> right. <this stat>? Right. <laughs> I just feel like, yeah, we just have to make small steps. You know, eventually we can get into you know, did did the thrower 
put their teammate in position where they made a turnover, you know, and that, yeah. get like having a stat for that original thrower, you know, it, it's just like, yeah, some of this stuff feels a little far removed from sort of the natural progression of things. I mean, I feel like the, the biggest hole right now that, that in my opinion would need the most immediate filling is just defensive stats in general. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've, been, we've been stuck with blocks for the last, you know, however many years of of ultimate uh, blocks and, and really defensive points played and there's little else. So yeah, I know there were a few interesting Twitter suggestions like Matt Stevens, Daryl Stanley, both mentioned marking as like a, a point of emphasis mm-hmm. and recording who is on the mark uh, and then drawing from that, you know, how many yards allowed, how many completions allowed completion percentage when that player is marking. Um, I, I love that concept i think it might get tricky with double teams like i don't know if that would be like a separate stat honestly just tracking double teams would also be a cool thing though you know we don't track double teams as it is right and i would love to see more stuff about like i i tweeted it at at you or quote tweeted you that i would like to see teams that start in defensive trap positions and how successful those are in leading to breaks for sure what coaches would love that they would love to have that data yeah Right. Um, oh, I, I lost my train of thought, but I had I had one other point to piggyback on with you talking about marks. Oh, just that, um, you know, I, I think I think wanting to know the exact people who cover an offensive player throughout an entire point. I understand that there's a little bit of trickiness there that defenses aren't all one single style that they have sort of modes like you might have mm-hmm. somebody playing single coverage and then they sort of hand off to a different defender that happens in the NFL too. And they still talk about cornerbacks covering specific wide receivers and having a good dialogue off of that. So I don't, again, I don't want to get too far into specifying certain kinds of data where we sort of lose the ability to tell the story. Somebody is generally guarding somebody. I think it's okay to kind of like statistically evaluate, Hey, so-and-so shut down this offensive player for this many yards and this many catches, here's what they normally do. Like I would, I would love to see that sort of stat of here's a player's normal level of production. And here's kind of what happens when they face that defender. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was uh, David T Evans on Twitter mentioned a, a defensive lockdown rate where, yeah, it's basically like, you know, that, that Jeff Babbitt type impact. Like if he's in the area or if he's guarding someone, how often does that, you know, how often does that cut get guarded so well that that person is not thrown to? And like, I think it's a a tough thing to track a lot of the time. But like you said, I I think it is still very doable. And and similarly, if we can somehow, you know, track like either the closest defender, if it's not obvious that that person's guarding them, but like, yeah, how many yards allowed in coverage, how many completions allowed in coverage, I think there is still a lot more we can do. Uh, I I love the idea of looking at, you know, really good players when they have their off games, who was guarding them and, and having yeah. like a number you can go to or a set of numbers where it's like, yeah, AJ Merriman held Ben Yacht to this, this and this. His normal stat line is this, this and this. I think that that's going to be a huge leap for defensive stats in the future. And I think maybe not always pinning it so much to individual stats and maybe developing more team defensive stats. I think you see that happening a lot in the NFL right now. When you, when you hear about coverage of 
what a team's defense is doing, they're going away from talking about sacks and interceptions specifically because what the statistical evolution in that sport has shown is that those are kind of um, randomized results that are more contingent on shutdown coverage and pressures. And I think similarly, Mm -hmm. you're going to see something in our sport where if you start seeing who's locking down who or who's putting on a good mark, suddenly the, the person with the highest block total, them being in relief kind of makes more sense, right? Like, like we talked about this before, like Jeff Babbitt finished with 21 blocks. It feels like that's a pretty low number given his <laughs> defensive impact. Yeah. Similarly, there's sure. plenty of other players throughout the league that are phenomenal defenders that didn't crack double digit blocks in 2021. And it just, it feels like if we start getting away from that specific number and start talking more about pressures or, or, you know, causing certain kinds of throwaways or limiting certain yardage. Like I would really like to see that stuff. I'd, I'd love to see a team stat of, you know, what are they allowing yards per throw? Are they a team that allows you to strike down field or are they a team that keeps everything in front of them? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and what does that mean? Like, is it effective or not effective? Cause I think that jury is still out too, as to whether, you know, a team that likes to huck it more and is a little bit more, dangerous with the disc is more effective than a team that just slowly works it up every time. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Dusty Rhodes on Twitter mentioned time of possession as a thing. And I was thinking like, <clears throat> you know, it obviously would be super cool to track time of possession. Uh, I think we, we are doing some of that currently. Maybe it's just not readily available, but it, it, it kind of begs the question, like is time of possession necessarily a good thing in ultimate? Do you want to force the team to hold the disc more, to, to grind out more offensive possessions. Like you could argue it tires out the offense if they're on the field that much, rather than, you know, it's like a team team like DC versus a team like Atlanta. Atlanta is just going to strike super quick. They typically have their guys fresh all the time. DC likes to take their time and really control possession. So I think there's, there's some stats like that, that, you know, I think while they're interesting to, to look at, I don't know it'll be cool to see like what conclusions you can draw from that type of stuff. And I think that it would, it would shed a lot of light on, you know, the question, is it better to hold possession or is it better to, to go more high risk, high reward with possessions? Similarly, I'd like to see more general analysis as to like you were saying earlier, red zone and particularly fourth quarter splits. I would love to see individual breakdowns of that as to who's getting the disc in those positions at high rates and not only that like what is their efficacy for sure yeah i think i think measuring fourth quarter stats would be a huge a huge storytelling method of like yeah the the clutch players the what what jack williams is doing in the fourth quarter versus the three other quarters you know like just being able to compare those things i i think would be extremely telling for a lot of players and again very nice for coaches to game plan you know if they're like we're playing against this guy make sure you shut him down in the fourth quarter maybe they start double covering him a bit you know whatever it may be uh you know just recognizing who those guys are that can go off at the end of games i think is super important i did see one thing that made me kind of scratch my head in curiosity and chuckle a bit which was I think more than one person suggested tossing away stats at the end of quarters. <laughs> Cause, yeah, I, cause hate, that. Sort of I the, hate that. 
like I get that in every other iteration of the sport, clock matters because there's time caps, but there isn't a clock that you play with. At the pro yeah. level, the clock very much matters. Like, and you, we've talked about this extensively. Teams who don't take that last sixty seconds of a quarter seriously, they lose breaks. It's essentially oh, losing yeah. breaks at the end of quarters. They're, mi- they're mini breaks. Yeah, right. If you if the other team gets the disc back at the beginning of the next starting period, like, and you didn't score at the end of the last one, that can essentially be a break. And and it's just funny to me to see people still almost dismissing the clock or saying, oh, people get uh, disorganized or they're undisciplined in those moments. And it's like, that matters. You know, it's the same way in which you watch an NBA game. If you're not managing, you know, set plays out of a stoppage with the end of a quarter, you're mismanaging your whole team. Same with like the NFL. If you you don't know how to construct a two-minute drive, that's indicative on your team. Like it's not, it's not just... (laughs) fun time that you can waste like those are very precious moments of clock and if if you think that two minutes or a minute on the clock doesn't matter you're gonna have a lot of problems in developing sort of the (laughs) strategy of your offense for sure for me i remember playing madden as as a young boy and quickly learning that i always wanted the kickoff to start because i knew i'd get the ball at half and like getting that score before half and then getting the ball back, amazing. There's no other feeling like it. I fully in, am in support of that. And yeah, it's it's really these mini breaks that can add up in that, of course, situations. I mean, the argument that people make is like, okay, it's just someone throwing up a disc to the end zone. Like, why should that count as a throwaway for them? But okay, it's like a 50-50 shot, debatably. So it might count as a goal too. Like I... There's no other sport that would just say, nope, that shot doesn't count. Like in basketball, if they throw up a half-court shot, no, <laughs> everything counts the same. We're not going to eliminate any stats. Uh, Saul Yannick threw out the idea of of yardage minus centering pass yardage. So like I anytime you get like an easy that. centering pass. I, I know that, that one's like... like that. that one's an interesting... I mean, that would be like a, a subset of yardage. We, and that so since he... Rec- recommended it is it called the yannick i feel like the the <laughs> proprietor is pavel yeah pavel pavel is my my gut of the, the guy that probably got gets like the two thousand receiving yards this year and i, I, I feel like a good 50 percent of it on the centering pass off of the pull so <laughs> for sure that Are one i, I mean I, i'd be fine i'd be fine if we could calculate that as like a separate thing like you have a player has his yardage totals then they have their yardage totals without centering passes standard yannick um, deviations yannick deduction there you go I, all all good options <laughs> so yeah that that's a fun one the end of quarter stuff i you know it's part of the game it's part of the sport so part of the udl at least I, I feel no, no like, reason to, yeah, I feel no reason to change that. Well, and I would just also like to see the team side stat of that because I've talked about this before, again, going back to Jeff Babbitt, it, it New York essentially just has a, a win condition at the end of quarters, not only with him, but then you throw in Ben Yacht, who's amazing in jump ball scenarios. And then they have John Lithio, Marcus Brownlee, like Jack I Williams has come down with a few. Jack Williams is pretty good in the air. It's been shown a few yeah. times. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me to come up with a lot of moments anecdotally of 
times New York has been bested at the end of games or at the end of quarters. And that feels really, really important, right? Like if you, <laughs> yeah, if you can just say at the end, like we're winning in one, if it, we're on offense, we're chucking it up and we're probably coming down with it. And if you're on offense, you don't get to score any of those possessions. That feels really indicative of late game performance, clutch performance, like all sorts of, you know, pretty appealing split statistics you'd like to analyze, right? Yeah. Do you think we should have buzzer beaters as a stat or like buzzer beating goals, buzzer beating assists? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you cool. I think you take it with a grain of salt because there is that sort of 500. It's a jump ball. There is yes. some coin flippishness to it. But like you're saying, it even if it's 50-50, imagine if you gave NBA or NFL on their Hail Marys or something saying, hey, it's basically a 50-50 shot on these. <laughs> right. <laughs> like right. If, That's pretty like good. If, pretty good for some. Pretty good. If, if the defense couldn't run back Hail Mary passes at the end of quarters and things, how many more Hail Mary attempts do you think quarterbacks would be trying? You know, yeah. they'd be trying them at the end of every quarter, it feels like. Right. Well, so, no, because they, they maintain It feels like a very yeah. important area to analyze are those contested end of quarter situations that some teams take very seriously and still some teams they feel like are developmentally challenged and understanding how important those are and that they essentially function as breaks yeah yeah it would be really cool to look at it from a team perspective like how you know what percentage of the time is a team you know converting those end of quarter situations i think that's uh really telling for a lot of teams and and it would you know i i agree with you i think there's a pretty it feels like there's a pretty big gap between the teams that do it really well and the teams that have yet to make it you know a, a huge focus in practices or games or whatever. So I feel I, like I agree. I think there's a development there coming. Well, and you just see it even, I think defensively about Raleigh uh, against DC, DC tried a couple of uh, end of quarter shots towards the end zone. And David Richardson swatted them into oblivion in the East division playoff game to make it to championship weekend. You know, like that's massively important. But you go back yeah. and you look at the stats and it's just like, oh, D. Rich got two blocks, you know, <laughs> right. those, those feel weighted a lot more than other blocks. If he's able to rise above a crowd and totally deny a Hail Mary attempt. Yeah, I, just, I know I, A.J. Merriman had several of those this season, too, where, yeah, just rising up over everyone else. And I agree with you. I mean, those are obviously like getting getting a block in the end zone is more valuable than getting a block otherwise. OK, here's. Here's a real can of worms question for you. Do you oh, think sure. that do you think that blocks should split into different kinds of vocabulary to discern what kind of block they are? I, I think, would I would I like a separate category one, for hand blocks. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say point okay. blocks should be its own category. Because uh, I'm wondering be... is there is there a no, difference between getting a block in the flat? you know, versus those end of quarter situations. Like, should that have a different notation? Probably not. Probably not. That's probably getting too far into the weeds of, you know, statistical discrimination. But um, yeah, my my gut is just adding a, a stat for specifically point blocks. Um, I think specifically handler defenders, it's really hard for them to rack up defensive stats just because it's harder to get blocks in the backfield. You don't see them as much. So like backfield blocks could be interesting but yeah i do feel like that's maybe getting a little 
nitpicky and and there might be more subjectivity to those where I feel like point blocks pretty definitive you know if someone just has a really good mark and is getting a lot of their blocks that way like that that's a notable thing for sure yeah I don't know how much a sack would necessarily help our understanding of what happens on defense but Mm -hmm. it could be interesting yeah yeah I also wonder about like uh, you know, back to marking things, just allowing breakthroughs was one thing that was brought up where even if you're, you're if, if you're not getting a point block or a block on defense, if you're just never getting broken, like that is a, a very valuable thing. Uh, but, you know, that might be one of those that it's it's maybe a little too granular, maybe a little too specific and, and probably hard to track. Uh but, you know, just some more more ideas for, for defensive stats and, and bringing light to those situations. So is it time to just talk about our wish lists? Last night, Daniel and I <laughs> sure. were on a, on a call talking about displaying and visualizing what stats are already being recorded in AUDL and what we're hoping to make more visible and accessible uh, in the upcoming 2022 season and going forward. We're talking about next, I think, is going to be stats that aren't currently being kept at all that we would like to see kept in some way going into the future. Obviously, whole bunch of hypotheticals here. We're not <laughs> both totally aware as to capturing techniques. We both have had experience with the stat interface and stuff, but um, this is this is a broad wish list. Please do not think that this is something that is in the works. Or, or that it will be in on any sort of timeline, but these are sort of ideas that we've been kicking around as far as what we'd like to see put out there as far as publicly available stats. Yeah. So why don't why don't you go first? Do you want me to start? Yeah. All right. I'll start with I'll start with one that we haven't talked about yet because my number one one is still just defensive coverage stats. You know, having the same stats that we have for an offensive player but just flip it so when a defender is in coverage but we talked about that some already so i'm gonna go with tracking the the sets that an offense sets up in or, or plays during a point vertical horizontal side stack and then tracking the success rate of those situations and i feel like this is something teams could do just on their own and i think it would be extremely valuable but getting a better sense of like you know, what percent of the time is New York running a vert stack? Like, who are the vert stack teams? Who are the horizontal stack teams? And then what is the success rate when they are set up in that base offense? Uh, You know, I'm sure there are a lot of teams that split fairly evenly between vertical stack, horizontal, side stack, whatever else. Um, And then other teams that are very true to what they do. And just, you know, I think I would wonder if there are any trends league-wide of any specific offense working better than any other, or even if, if that's just team specific, you know, I want to know like if, if New York has a better chance of scoring, if they're in a vertical stack rather than horizontal. So stacks uh, would love to see that tracked. And then also on the defensive side, how it I, really all these could, no, could dang go it, both that was ways. Gonna be my talking point. I was going to say, Oh, well, the... then I'll let you go. Take over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want, I think the defensive side would almost be more interesting, particularly because both. in my head, my case example is Atlanta. I would really like to know if Atlanta's zone defense is as effective as its matchup coverage. 
Because yes, what my eyeballs say is not all the time. I think yeah, I agree that well, that back half of Atlanta's season, where basically every offense was able to score on them after they were so stingy mm-hmm. in the first six seven weeks. I think it's because they deployed too much of the zone and it allowed offenses to get into rhythm, particularly in their battles with Pittsburgh. They could not gain separation from a one win Thunderbirds team as a playoff team, the hustle, you know, and I just, they had such good personnel for matchup defense. And you saw a couple times when they would just run matchup, it would work really well. Um, and when they throw out the zone as kind of their changeup. It was a great one too, but I just, I felt like Atlanta's strategy relied a little too much on that zone and it allowed offenses to work back into rhythm. You know, I'm thinking mostly in the playoff game, New York was struggling early and Atlanta yeah, kind of running really his zone and it allowed New York to get more touches and you could see them slowly build that rhythm throughout the game. Um, so yeah. I would just, well, they also yeah, would... kept Jack Williams on the field the entire second half, which is helpful. Was um, it though? But yes. Well, uh, but no, I was, I was actually going to say, uh, like, yes, I totally agree with you, but I honestly, like the, my point was like, I want to see the offensive sets recorded, you know, horizontal, vertical, and then I want to see the defense success rate against those offenses. So like how a team does when the other team is running vert. And then similarly with what you just said, I would love to see an offensive success rate when they're facing zone versus when they're facing person defense. Uh, I think all that stuff can go both ways and really give teams a, a better idea of what's working and, and just allow us to better analyze, you know, what teams are doing that's working and what's what's not as effective. And then kind of like the 1A off of that, I want uh, statistics for throwers against the double team. I want to see mm. how throwers do against double teams because I think there are some players that need I mean, this is kind of obvious. Some players need to be dumb, double teamed more and some players need to be double teamed a lot less. Like yeah. in particular, yeah. I don't know if running a zone against Minnesota's offense right now works, right? It slows them down a little, but Will Brandt and Andrew Roy and Tony Paletto kind of carved up Madison's attempts at it when they threw it at them this year. Um, so I'd just like to yeah. see some kind of formal analysis as far as oh that is a good thrower against the double team we shouldn't use it there versus you know just sort of running it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna flip the script to the defensive side and just tracking double teams tracking the raw amount of double teams that a defense throws in a game and then also the success rate of those double teams how many times is it forcing a turnover how many times are guys effortlessly getting out of them um, I know you brought so up think... the, the double double team traps before, but like specifically on those pull plays, I think that would be super interesting. You know, what, starting in a what double it, team, like trap. how good a defense is at that. Starting in a double team trap, I think, leads to a pretty easy discussion as to what happens after that point. I worry a little bit about when you say tracking every trap or double team and then analyzing its effectiveness. Double teams well, just are whether met. or not it forces a turnover. But that's what I mean like is what? that I don't know that a double team necessitates a turnover to be effective, right? Like what if you're just disallowing a certain look for a thrower or you're forcing sure, them sure. into a reset or a certain kind of swing that your zone anticipates? Like 
I, yeah, I'm just thinking as far as like, you know, in my mind, somewhat easily trackable things would be, are they throwing a double team? Yes or no. Did that throw result in a turnover? Yes or no. Like, yeah, I, I, I agree th- with you. There's there's more to the story than that, but it's still, right. you know, all stats are just picking a specific thing to to pinpoint and, and use that sort of as a tool. Um, I think yeah. just having that data would be interesting to look at. I just think there's a lot of utility to a zone beyond finding the non-thrower and getting the double team on them because that's to be fair madison did that for like five years to start and it worked really well because at that era of ultimate there was kind of always one offensive player who was a little bit iffy with the disc i Mm -hmm. think we're moving past that a bit and i think you see it with a team like dc where they essentially throw seven throwers out at you Montreal too. Montreal was playing a six handler offense for most of the Canada Cup this year. They had Sasha Sokolski, and then they had six throwers around him. Um, and he could throw too. Like yeah, it wasn't like very capable he was lefty solely thrower. a downfield guy. Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's a lefty throw, so he's able to break right, and reset right. and redistribute to again like six other throwers. I. I'm still really excited to see Montreal's offense if they continue to do what they were doing this year into next year when they get to face U.S. teams again. Um, I think they're going to be really interesting to watch. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I would just... Yeah, I don't know where I was going. Fair catch. I digress. <laughs> right. um, okay. Okay. Next oh, someone mentioned... Shared. Yeah, someone mentioned on, on Twitter, I think it was also Dusty Rhodes. Uh, he mentioned tracking specific throws backhands forehands hammers and the percentage of the time that throwers use them but i i would be interested in seeing like who leads the league in in hammer yardage or you know yeah who who has the most flick hucks in the league or yeah just you imagine that that are very specific i think that'd be pretty imagine if we could crown like a hammer scuba backhand and forehand king each year (laughs) yeah they like that is the dude I mean, the, the forehand king would be Osgar, right? Or Pavel. Yeah, or Pavel. It's one of those two. And they're, they're such different forehand kings, too. Right. Um, but it but would yeah. be fun to, you know, formalize like, hey, no, this year it, it is Osgar, you know? <laughs> yeah. It might be or, also interesting from a cutter's perspective, you know, who, who catches the most hammers or like who makes those cuts for those big cross field hammers. Like I wonder if oh, that, would, that be would be an yeah. interesting thing. The other thing that I saw kind of alongside that was keeping track of break throws. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's impossible. That, that yeah, would, I know. I just think that's very hard to track. Like, how would you discern what a break is in the field sometimes? Especially, I mean, I would a, say, I mean, we like we are tracking the field it? position of every throw. So I would say, like, if it if it goes, I mean, you first of all, you would have to know where the mark is forcing, and that's not always clear, especially if they're like hey, late well, getting the flat mark. What's a, right? What's or if it's mark? a flat mark, I yeah. Then what is everything a break throw? Like I. I don't know. I think that's that's tough. If there's a clear force, then I would just say it's anything to that side of the the thrower's body, like any any part of that side of the field that the thrower goes to. I would say is a break. But yeah, I think it gets super tricky with flat marks. Um, I don't I don't really see any real way to call something a break 
if that's the case. It would be nice. It feels like that's one of those ones where I don't know if a quantitative analysis serves you so much as just looking at the thrower that you have and going, yeah, that's the guy who can shred the mark, you know? Yeah. Uh, it'd be nice, though. <laughs> it would. It would in be an, nice. In an ideal world, yeah, just to say, like, you know, because obviously these are all things that that don't you can't you can't get them from like there are certain handlers that are really good at breaking the mark, but they just might not put up other stats. But they're doing a lot of those, you know, more less trackable things that are putting their offense in a good position. And here's a real complication. What about versus a zone? You know, you're not necessarily throwing break throws, but I, again, I'm thinking Osgar and his ability to drop those flicks into certain spaces it's as good as a break throw. Yeah, you those know, I would it, call like, breaks. We, if those are like breaking through the zone, I feel like it's a you're break. hammering over the zone to a certain degree, yeah, is that a that, break? That's a yeah, break. Then, I would call it a break. I call I it a know. break. You're you're I, you're doing what? Well, I guess I, I guess can the argument hear there is the old like heads just spinning <laughs> right now. Like, are you? Yeah, the, I would say the if argument you hammer is like, over the doing, top, it's a break throw. Back in my day, suds threw a sixty-five yard hammer end zone to end zone across the field and we didn't call it a break back then you know like the problem is you know zones i feel like oftentimes want to force those throws and just by using the word force right there like can we call that a break throw if they're if they're forcing a big throw over the top like if that's what the zone wants i don't know in my mind my gut is saying if it like breaks through the zone i would call it a break throw but another good point and and maybe uh Another reason to table tracking breakthroughs for a while, at least. But yeah, I don't just, know. It, if someone it has any good. creative ideas of how to track them, I, I think it would be an interesting thing to explore. My sort of bellwether is if it's if a stat starts inviting more questions than it sort of <laughs> solves, then yeah. that's where I have the issue. And this is going to be my trampoline into why plus minus needs to be a abolished from our discussions about what floor is yours i okay i just i'll try and keep it short i it's not i guess you can use plus minus if you're strictly talking about a certain kind of offensive player i.e like a downfield striker but once you start getting into generalized discussions about plus minus it completely falls apart because it only rewards scores versus turnovers. And that's just not enough of a complete picture for me to buy into it being a useful stat. And can I give, can I give a couple interesting examples of, of high plus minus? Well, I just want to give the example of any time you have Pavlianis and Jack Williams and other players of their caliber, you know, having to click to the second page of plus minus to get to them, it's it's not really useful anymore. I guess not Pavel, but Jack is near the bottom of the first page, which includes, what, 40 players? Yeah. He's, he's ranked like in the 30s for plus minus. Um, another example would be Saul Yannick. You have to go almost to the third page to get to him, yet he led the league in throwing yards and was the central quarterback for the championship team. It just, I I have issues with it. I don't even know when you're going to find a true defensive player that doesn't score goals on here, you know? Jeff Babbitt, well, yeah, doesn't. Yeah, score Jeff goals. Babbitt that's and Dylan the, the Clerk, and Stephen Milardovich will do okay, but I'm talking like yeah. 
a Hallsmeyer is something who doesn't necessarily rack up offensive stats, but is a supremely useful player on your team. What were you going to say about plus minus? I was, I was going to say it's, it's like the guys that just score a ton of goals, uh, you know, like Kentan Bono in 2019, plus minus of over 100. Plus minus feels to me like it it should only be used as a stat to describe that that hybrid type player. And so when it's only used to describe guys that are just throwing a ton of assists or scoring a ton of goals, or like you said, guys like Jack Williams, that maybe their, their impact isn't in scoring so much necessarily... Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I like I, I like it as a stat for guys like like Ben Yacht. I feel like plus minus is a very nice stat for it. and Ryan Osgar to an extent. But yeah, it's like it. There are obviously flaws with it. It it feels best suited and and it is for guys that get goals, assists, and blocks. And it's just like that that caveat isn't really you know it it the stat everyone has a plus minus number even if they're only if they're getting zero blocks they still have a plus minus number and they can have a better plus minus than a guy that gets 10 blocks and is more impactful so i understand your your complaints with that i think there's a time and place to use it when comparing players but agreed that it it can be easily like overrated and and looked at as this kind of end all be all impact stat I mean, I just, you look at the names when you start clicking into the fourth and fifth pages, which is in the hundred, you know, you're getting into like top 150 in the league. And you're still seeing Eric Taylor, Mick Walter, you know, Tim Okita, like. Uh, right. But what you want, you want just like a an efficiency rating or like a passer rating, like some some encompassing efficiency stat for, for a player or like, or uh a wins above replacement, that type of thing. Like that's what you're yeah. wanting. Yeah. And plus yeah, minus I want... is by no means that. Right. But it, it's yeah. sometimes foisted as that a few times I've seen. And yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard when it gets taken in that sphere because it just, it just nullifies any kind of thrower who doesn't throw assists, like any kind of high volume thrower that doesn't necessarily throw assists They right. They just get, trashed by plus minus yep any defensive player that doesn't have double digit goals absolutely trashed by plus minus yeah yeah i mean back to our wish list i think having a a passer rating type stat or an overall efficiency stat would be awesome and that was something we we'd sort of talked about i think last off season of i mean it's just about like you know the nfl passer rating formula is so so specific and like the the numbers that are modifying the other stats are so specific and it's you know what it's the top rating 158.3 or whatever it is like that's such Mm -hmm. a specific number i think it's just it's hard to come up with a a good formula that that weights things equally and then just on that topic like what what all do you plug into this formula like do you incorporate uh, just the basic goals, assists, blocks, completions. Do you talk about red zone specific stats? Maybe um, I think there's a lot of a lot of conversation that could be had of what goes into like the ideal efficiency stat. Whether whether we keep it like offensive efficiency specific or overall impact, if we include blocks, um, I don't know. But definitely having something like that would be cool. But it's just like you you know you you basically test it out by running the formula, 
looking at your list, like ranking all the players first to last and just seeing if the top 10 makes sense. Like if that looks right, if that looks like the top 10 players in the league, then I think you have a good formula. But I think it's really hard to get to that point. And I'm not a, a formula creating stats person, so I, I don't know what the best approach is. But it's a wish list item for sure. I mean, the throwing number slash equation is basically the philosopher's stone of our off seasons at this point. Like whoever can come up with that will be knighted king of Camelot. You know, like I I don't know anyone who's come up with a coherent version yet. I took a stab years ago and just came up with a clown formula. Uh, It's all approximations. The hard part is that once you come up with that, that is going to define throwers for <laughs> generations. And so, you know, yeah. I think there's some trepidation. And like you're saying, there's such like a fine calculus to how some of those numbers interact with each other in the NFL version that we're all a bit wary of putting that into motion quite yet without a very, very, very firm formula from like an actual mathematical expert. And I don't know, maybe one of you listening will be the one to step forward and pull the sword from the stone so to speak but man (laughs) yeah it's a good image do you know i know ulti world had that that edge score going Mm -hmm. like they post weekly articles about that do you know what what all goes into that no i felt like that was a little bit more fantasy oriented and again like because Mm. of the the lacking of defensive stats you're never gonna see really defensive performances show up in there so i always kind of want to you know somehow asterisk it or just sort of take it with a grain of salt, you know, of, Oh, that makes sense. Like I often saw the edge performance matching up closely with like a plus minus calibration. Right. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit more, I think true the edge was because it took into account yardage, um, which Mm -hmm. is always going to help give you a clearer picture as we, we saw this year. Um, Yes. But yeah, yeah. I think the, the, yeah, the reason why I think yardage is so key is because, and I honestly, I look at I look at scores a lot, uh, maybe maybe more so than goals or assists on their own, like because scoring to me feels a little bit random, like it, it can be a little bit inflated and, and generally like hybrid type players, whether they're scoring the goal or throwing the assist, like when they're just super involved downfield, I don't think it really matters so much. Um, and like, like I was saying, like the the amount of luck that that it takes to you know catch the disc near the end zone consistently, I just feel like yardage shines so much more light on overall impact than just scoring numbers. Yardage feels a, a lot less random, uh, and I think you you see guys that are putting up you know five hundred. And uh, similarly, I look at total yards. I again don't look at always receiving yards or throwing yards. I think total yards are a great way to just look at you know guys impact and then seeing they're they're putting up 500 total yards per game to me i i like that a lot better than looking at goals and assists but you know i i'd see i see that scoring is obviously the end goal and ultimate and and like you were saying if you know waiting blocks in this formula it is kind of a proven thing that offense wins championships in ultimate and like offense is kind of the the defining characteristic of a team a lot of the time. So maybe blocks just aren't as important. Maybe we should only care about offensive efficiency rather than a, an all encompassing 
player rating, but I have a feeling you you want blocks in there. You want a more a more well rounded. I don't know. I think I just would maybe want the development of more defensive stats so we could come up with some kind of defensive efficiency. But I don't know if that's yeah. reasonable because I don't I can't think of an example like that that's easily communicated in another sport, right? Like there's not that in the NFL. There isn't like a QBR well, for a defensive well, player. Well, there I mean, I I come from a pro football focused background. They they are the kings of of having basically all the quarterback stats and wide receiver stats, you know, targets, receptions, yardage, all that, but flipping it and putting that on a cornerback uh, and seeing how many what they allow in coverage. And when you have all of those numbers, you can calculate passer rating allowed in coverage. Sure. So like quarterbacks have a, a 40.0 passer rating when they're targeting this cornerback. Like that, totally. that stuff that I feel like is, is within the realm of possibility for ultimate too. Correct. And similarly in baseball, you have batting average against OPS against, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I think you can come up with uh stat categories that defenders can ascribe to. I'm saying an all encompassing number for like sure. the same way that there's a PER in basketball, the same way there's a QBR in uh, NFL and the right. same way that even war is, uh, offensively calibrated right in baseball mostly uh i don't know but i believe okay. that <laughs> i don't I, really know i believe baseball. it's still heavily weighted offensively and that's why like a mike trout is always king of it okay. not to say that yeah. he isn't a really good defensive player as well but um yeah i mean i guess baseball i could be, I could be the whole the anyways whole money ball um, thing of like scoring runs like that's kind of the the end goal like you got to score i'm, win, I'm just so that makes sense to wrap up my point, I don't think that I, I don't have a ready made example of an all encompassing defensive stat in the same way you can come up with simulacrums for offensive output, right? Sure. Yeah. But I w- obviously, it would be amazing to know like throwing percentage against for a defensive player. Like, what would, yeah. what would Jeff Babbitt's throwing percentage against be? Right, but even the throwing. It's also, I guess, with ultimate, it's also about the non-throws, you know. And I wonder if there will ever be a good way to track those. Like, if Babbitt just shuts down a cut and that cutter gets looked off, like, is there some way to award a stat for Babbitt? You know, I think it's, I think it's got to be similar to how in football you just talk about like times targeted. To say that right. it was shut down, I think, enters into a realm of subjectiveness that becomes real murky really quick. <laughs> right. Like, was the thrower you know? ever going to throw it? Were they just yeah, was just that pump, fake? Was the pump fake right. designed to clear out that particular receiver yeah, yeah. for the next one? You know? It and gets it, it's very like, tricky. So, yeah, I think it would have to be established from a, just purely, are they getting targets? Yeah, and just on actual throws. And also, like, what yeah. kind of targets are they? Like maybe here's something to develop an under versus a deep cut. How many unders is the particular defender allowing versus deep cuts? Maybe they're forcing everyone under, but nobody beats them deep, you know? Yeah. Well, the other thing is no one can gain easy yardage on them and you have to try them deep in order to get open against them. Like that would also be really interesting. Right. And another, another thing to, to note is that even if we can't say like, okay, Babbitt gets a, a plus one for locking this person down that didn't get thrown to, you can just look at their their targeted, you know, targeted in coverage totals from the game. And like, that's something I've, I've looked at for PFF. Like, 
a cornerback that has only been thrown at, you know, like 20 times the whole season. Like that is notable. Like quarterbacks aren't even looking their way. Like that would right. be super interesting because I feel like just the the sheer number of throws into Babbitt's vicinity would be very low. And that that's like a takeaway on its own, just the, the raw number of throws that I, and I think that's part of the reason why his block totals aren't as high as these other guys. It's because he's doing so much of that shutting down in coverage where teams aren't even testing him. They know better. Yeah. I think about San Diego's defense too. I think other than Milardovich, they had a couple of people who would qualify for that where they were just good at shutting down their guy and didn't necessarily get blocks, but were very good defenders in that right. Yeah, right. Just like noting how many touches their matchup has in that game. I think that that would be really cool to look at. Do you have any other wish list stuff? Any real crazy out there things? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, yeah, defense is just where my my heart goes. We just we need more than just blocks. Um, I know. It's kind yeah, of my I, I'm trying to think in the background is to like figure out ways to make defense <laughs> more visible and to stop making yeah. it such an offensive heavy league. Because I think this past year really showed how significant and impactful having a good defense can be. Like for as much as you say, like yes, offense kind of hold serve having mm-hmm. a disruptive defense or having a defense that can take away what an, an opposing offense likes to do is just so important and to have For sure this, you know rudimentary tools essentially to analyze that feels unbecoming like like raleigh like raleigh doesn't generate the most amount of takeaways i i think this year they were better than in leagues than in years past i think this year yeah. they were Let's see where they ranked in blocks per game. This year they were pretty middle of the pack is my guess. Oh man, they were, they were actually they're towards the bottom. They averaged 9.53 blocks per game, which is 22nd, 21st, 19, 18, 16th out of 22 teams. They were 16th. Yeah. New York, New York, the team they faced in the championship game was 17th in blocks per game. Yeah. So they don't need them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right it's it's kind of crazy to think I, I, you know and the in the way in which you look at the stuff too it's it's skewed all over the place like the top generally are playoff teams the teams that have the most blocks per game are generally playoff teams but after the first five it gets real weird real quick because seattle was one of the best takeaway teams but they couldn't convert them and so they finished three and nine you know right yeah that's that's always interesting i, I do feel like it it always leans like the the number one team isn't necessarily the best at forcing turnovers but yeah it's really just the fact they they didn't need to they they proved it with their offense throughout championship weekend throughout the season uh it really wasn't that big of a deal and so again we need to develop because all we can sit here and say is well they played good hard matchup (laughs) They play good. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Good defensive team doesn't mean they get all the blocks, but they're good. I mean, I, I would love like our it. team, our team stats page right now where it's laid out with, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe specifically completions is what I'm looking at as a possibility to show the other side. So show how many completions a defense is allowing per game, how many they've allowed mm-hmm. per season. Um, I think that like just flipping the script on a lot of these stats could be 
uh, kind of the move for defenses. And then just going back to looking at star players stats and seeing when they had down games and seeing like who the primary matchup was like that is a, yeah, we're seeing who the team was, you know, like, like how DC does against Ben Yacht compared to other teams. I think anytime you can sort of flip the script, show defensive stats, uh, talking about, you know, how they impacted an offense that that's going to be valuable. Yeah. I, I think my brain has officially reached its cap on stat talk for like the last 24 ish hours or so. So I think this is a good place to wrap up, but I will say to you, loyal listener, uh, nerd alerts. If you've made it this far into a podcast about ultimate Frisbee (laughs) stats and B, feel free to reach out to either Daniel and I on our social media. I'm at Huck Ruffner, R-U-F-F-N-E-R, and he's at it's Daniel Cohen uh, on Twitter. And we would love to continue more stat talk. Um, I think we're both pretty far in the weeds on this stuff right now. And so if anyone has ideas about how to get to a throwing number or other things you'd maybe want to see, feel free to shoot us messages, engage with us. Um, Otherwise, we'll be back next week with another episode of Swing Pass.